2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
0: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, it's your favorite, or some of your favorite, Quentin Quarantino's coming to you live and direct in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, you might recognize that. It's been in the news pretty often. I don't know Great what you're reason. talking about, Ben. <laughs> it's like a, like a real-life tiny Grinch cut, rolling through your, your local holidays. As this episode comes out, it is Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving amid a pandemic. We hope that you are being safe, uh, and we wish you many, many wonderful in-person Thanksgivings in the years to come. But a lot of people right now in the U.S. are celebrating Thanksgiving in a different way because the pandemic has affected our normal traditions, and rituals. And today's episode is about a pandemic. It's about the effects that a pandemic can have. And we thought this was an interesting one to explore with you today. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll maybe pose the question first to super producer Casey Pegram. Casey, did you know that the 1918 pandemic affected the fight for women's rights?
3: No. um, When I saw this topic come up, I was like super intrigued and I've kind of been trying to think in my head, okay, how could that have worked out that way? But um, I haven't really come up with any answers, so I'm curious to hear.
0: Yeah, well, I, I don't want to speak for you, Noel, but I had no idea about this relationship either.
1: I didn't either. Um, and it, it all comes back to the Spanish flu uh, pandemic that we often have uh, compared to this pandemic that we're living through right now. A lot of similar kind of politicization of mask wearing. There were a lot of interesting parallels um, so let's put it into perspective a little bit. Um, it. Left more than 50 million people dead, um, in, including around 600. This was in the entire world, including around 670,000 in the United States, obviously much more deadly than the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and we've talked about this compared to, you know, figures of war deaths. World War I, which was ended just as the flu started to reach its peak, only killed around 17 million people. That's a third of the fatalities caused by the Spanish flu. And the war kind of led to the perfect conditions for like super spreader type events, um, because of the, again, it was spread airborne in the same way that the, uh, that the coronavirus is. Respiratory droplets were exhaled by folks who were infected. And oftentimes, these military uh, men um, spent, they were young men, spent long periods of time in very, very close quarters in barracks and, um, you know, in actual trenches um, with other uh, soldiers. And all that proximity and obviously like war, it's it's a, it's a lot of uh, exertion that, that would cause you to expel those droplets. And then you had malnutrition. It's kind of created this perfect storm of mm-hmm. weakened immune systems and uh, all of that close contact. And the virus just spread like gangbusters.
0: Yeah, the the war actually helped the virus perfect itself. Evolving through several waves of infection and each new wave was more dangerous than the last. A lot of troops were already doomed before they reached Europe because they picked the flu up on the packed troop ships. If there was a single infected soldier on the ship, then the virus could spread to everyone. There was there was no way to stop it. And when the soldiers returned to the US, they became the perfect distribution method for this infection. Think about it. They've contracted this and now they're spreading it to their home states. Goodbye, Kansas. Goodbye, New York. Nice to meet you, Georgia. You know what I mean? This becomes very dangerous very quickly. However, it was more than just male conscription in the war that led to a higher number of men being infected and dying from the flu. Even back at home, with populations that were never involved in the war effort, the death rate for men still exceeded the death rate for women. The demographic studies show nearly 175,000 more men died than women in 1918 alone. And in general, epidemics tend to kill more dudes than dudettes. In disease outbreaks throughout known history, including famines, women have a longer life expectancy than men, as presented in uh, Smithsonian, and often will have higher rates of surviving something if they are infected. Researchers in the modern day still don't know the exact reason why this occurs, but there's definitely more to the story. And speaking of more to the story, it turns out this flu, for all the horrible things it did, played a role in women's rights because the epidemic was so profound that parts of the economy in the U.S. temporarily shut down in 1918. Might give you a little bit of deja vu, right, folks? Coal deliveries in New England were so severely affected that people froze to death because they weren't able to keep their homes heated. Researchers estimate that, just for a snapshot, In businesses in Little Rock, Arkansas, there was a decline of 40 to 70%. This is an existential threat to the economy and businesses. And it also occurs during a worker shortage, right? People are going to war, yes. People are also calling in sick to work or dying. So the labor market is increasingly desperate and it opens to women. And now, because of this, these two huge factors, an unprecedented number of women take jobs outside the
1: home. That's right, and uh, after the war, um, the number of women in the workforce went up by 25%. And before that, uh, around 1920, women only made up 21%. uh, So it was definitely on the rise. And that was of all uh, gainfully employed individuals in the United States. And, you know, you often hear uh, about what is it? um, Rosie the Riveter and all that stuff. And the idea of women stepping up and filling in the jobs for their male counterparts when they were away. Uh, It's often attributed to World War One alone, but it actually had to do with the pandemic the 1918 flu, because that's when women began to uh, move into roles that previously had only been occupied by men in manufacturing. And like we said, that's because men were more susceptible to this flu for whatever reason so women began to uh, the, the let's say the 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 guidelines the the strictures surrounding the employment of women in terms of jobs they had been banned from or that men were exclusively you know the ones occupying those roles all that stuff was loosened significantly for example in the textile industry or other manufacturing roles and when they realized that they were needed Perhaps they were needed more than they needed them. And by them, I mean like the man. They started to demand equal pay Mm -hmm. because they had this leverage and they were becoming a really important part of the economic system, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. With that empowerment, we see more progress. We see more active advocacy for other issues, not just equal pay. But hey, what about the right to vote? You know what I mean? Why am I supporting this economy if I don't have a say in politics? Great question. The crisis also helped change society's minds about how women fit into society in general. Uh, increased participation in the workforce allowed a lot of people to have unprecedented social and financial independence. Leadership positions in the workforce, as you indicated, Noel, uh, could now be occupied by women who historically ran into a glass ceiling, it's called, and still continue to today. But now it was normalized to say, hey, my boss in the garment industry is a woman, or hey, my supervisor, my boss in military and police forces, also a woman. The US got its first female governor when Nellie Taylor Ross took her oath of office in Wyoming in 1923.
1: Yeah. And even like the president started getting in on the game, like uh, President Woodrow Wilson started to defend women's rights in 1918, saying that they were a valuable part of the American war effort and the economy in general um, and that they should be given the right to vote. Yeah, he talked about it in
0: an address to the Senate, and he had this specific quote, this war could not have been fought if it had not been for the services of the women. Services rendered in every sphere. I, that's The quote goes on, but I don't want to subject everybody to that voice for too long. Uh, long story short, what's really happening here, not so much altruism on uh, good old Woodrow's side, but more the political reality. Politicians have to acknowledge this empowered segment of the population. And it gets tricky because... Women in America campaigning for suffrage, the right to vote, found themselves fighting three different battles at once fighting against the problems brought by the flu, fighting against the ongoing issues and ripple effects of World War I, which just recently ended, and then fighting the people who were, for some ridiculous reason, just staunchly opposed to women's suffrage. Uh, one local suffragist in 1918 told the New Orleans Times Picayune, quote, everything conspires against women's suffrage. And you know what? You can see how someone would feel that way. They had been fighting for women's rights to vote for 70 years. Victory seemed almost in reach. As we said, President Wilson had come out in support of amending the Constitution for this. House of Representatives had already passed it, but that all happened before the Spanish flu struck. And just like things were rolling along at a pretty quick pace before COVID-19 struck, we we see the same results, right? Everything went
1: haywire. That's right. The first wave of the flu began to just burn its way through the country in 1918 during the spring. And then it sort of abated a little bit by the summer. But this, this kind of threw a wrench in the works, actually. It was during that time that Senate Democrats, dominated by a lot of Democrats from the South, different time for Democrats versus Republicans in terms of you know the attitudes we maybe ascribe to those parties, uh, they were pushing to actually put a hold on giving black women uh, the right to vote um, and were refusing to pass this bill that would send the suffrage amendment to the states for ratification and uh, votes were announced then canceled, and then by the early fall, the suffragists could see that they were only two votes short of the two-thirds majority they needed to pass the law. Um, And and there's a really interesting quote from uh, Carrie Chapman Catt, who was the president of the National American Women's Suffrage Association, in a letter that she wrote to supporters of the movement in 1918. She said, "'These are sad times for the whole world, grown unexpectedly sadder by the sudden and sweeping epidemic of influenza.'" This new affliction is bringing sorrow into many suffrage homes and is presenting a serious new obstacle in our referendum campaigns and in the congressional and senatorial campaigns. We must, therefore, be prepared for failure. Grim News. Dire Times.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing
1: Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of
0: independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. That's up to $15 off three
0: Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for
1: details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
3: Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2%
0: doesn't discriminate too much when it comes to victims. Over in Congress, the powerful Speaker of the House at the time, a gentleman named Champ Clark. I feel like that's that's quite a gambit to name your child Champ. You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah. Uh, maybe it's that nominative determinism thing at play. Uh, maybe they were thinking it was gonna give him a leg up, or at the very least, you know, uh, maybe he'd get so bullied in high school that he would toughen up and become, you know, his namesake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was short for Champlain or champ I don't know. I'm not his parents. Uh, so anyhow, he is a powerful Speaker of the House. He's done well. So maybe nominative determinism plays a role in that. But he catches the flu. And while the suffrage bill is in limbo over in the Senate, the galleries that the suffragists sat in to keep an eye on proceedings were closed due to health concerns. And the U.S. Public Health Service issued a national advisory to all local health departments to prohibit large meetings and gatherings. And this means that the campaigns for women's suffrage are compromised. Organizers have to postpone a huge train tour. uh, On the second floor of the suffrage house in D.C., Carrie Chapman Catt was... uh, bedridden by the flu and was, uh, you know, could have been out of the movement entirely, but she was determined to consult on strategy with a friend of hers and close ally of the president, a guy named John Walsh, who was a senator for Montana at the time, but then boom, boom, womp, womp, he also gets struck low by the flu. Kat can't come downstairs from her bed. She can't move. Walsh does not have the strength to walk up the stairs. So get this. They're sharing strategy on winning the right to vote by having an intermediary walk up and down the stairs, relaying their messages to each other. It's weird, huh? It's super
1: weird. Um, And at this point, the pandemic was working its way west after, you know, decimating um, the East Coast uh, and the referendum state of South Dakota. Took heavy losses. There's another quote from uh, a local organizer here uh, from the National Geographic article, Pandemic Nearly Derailed Women's Suffrage, uh, saying this. Just when we had plans developed for a renewed and revised campaign, along comes the influenza and cuts off all possibility of public speaking and even meetings in open air. So many homes have been touched in each locality, if not with the actual disease, with the dreadful fear, which seems to be worse, that we have not been able to work with the individual voter. This is all ringing eerily uh, true. Is it not, Ben? Whatever are you talking about. I mean, of what's, yeah, exactly. They weren't able to raise money. So many of these, these incredibly devoted women's suffrage uh, movement volunteers began to have to start volunteering for the Red Cross instead or in hospitals, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a terrible confluence of events. And so the suffrage movement uh, improvises, adapts, overcomes Thank you to whomever made that dank meme. Uh, what they, what, here's what they do. So there are these bans on large public gatherings. It makes sense. Even though some kind of sleazy political opportunists are using it to repress this righteous movement, uh, it does make medical sense to prohibit large gatherings. So the suffragists switch to a personal touch approach. They reach out directly to their neighbors and friends. They're emphasizing their patriotism. They're quoting the statements of Woodrow Wilson, saying that votes for women is a reward for their sacrifice during the Great War. They didn't call it World War I at the time. You know, we're an optimistic species. A national headquarters provided millions of pamphlets for distribution door-to-door, and then weekly bulletins that you could place in local newspapers. People signed petitions urging male voters. Because, like, how messed up is this? If there's a referendum on, on women voting, who gets to vote? Not the women. They don't get to vote on their own referendum. Imagine that. So they were urging these male voters who were already enfranchised to try to pass referendums in four states Granting the right to vote. And the extensive grassroots organizing that the movement had perfected already carried the day because long before the Spanish flu came around, these organizers had been laying the basis for their campaigns. Each city and town in each state had its own organization linked to a coherent, cohesive national strategy. People had developed these very sophisticated political skills, and all this preparation was crucial because, hey, guess what? While we're speaking about history rhyming, if it doesn't repeat, these folks were voting during an epidemic.
1: Yeah, and that didn't go over well. Do they have mail-in ballots then,
0: Ben? Yeah, it's it's interesting because absentee ballots first started in the military. During the Civil War here in the U.S., and for a long time after, you could vote by mail if you could not go to the polling place on election day. Nowadays, of course, some states let them be used for convenience, but they're still referred to as absentee ballots.
1: Got it. Okay. So I wonder—I don't know—like this is for a conversation for another day. But I wonder how uh, many people turned to uh, using. Absentee ballots during this because it's true. Uh, it you could argue that the epidemic suppressed the voter turnout. Um, there were three million fewer ballots cast in the nineteen fourteen midterm, but I wonder how many of those were mail in. Nonetheless, um, but the suffrage referendums in uh, Oklahoma, South Dakota, and Michigan uh, were all able to pass. With a decent, uh, a decent little cushion, which is great, and this wouldn't have happened without the incredible dedication of the suffragist uh, movement um, participants and, and and allies. But it really stemmed from, I think, in a larger scale than that, that appreciation that was becoming more part of the zeitgeist of the role that women played during the war and the pandemic the combination of the two. Um, so it was, you know, it really was kind of a good example of seeing a sea change in attitudes that was brought about by, you know, some horrible stuff, but ultimately, you know, helped push things forward. That's
0: right. Only the Louisiana referendum failed. And this was the first referendum in the South. And as we've, as we've established earlier, uh, women's suffrage was starting off At a disadvantage because a lot of the political mechanisms of the time were terrified by the idea of African-American women voting, of having the power to overturn long-held racist attitudes and institutions. Women in New York State, whose constitution had been amended to grant them full voting rights just a year earlier, they showed up at the polls in huge numbers during the 1918 election. The activist we mentioned earlier, Kat, who was still recovering from the flu, insisted on going to cast her ballot. It was the first ballot she was ever able to cast. And then on November 22, 1918, World War I drew to a close. The flu had one more punch left during the winter, kind of like toward the end of a horror movie, right, when the hand shoots up from the grave, you know. Uh, and this weakened President Wilson. So Republicans won control of both houses of the new Congress. And in June of 1919, lo and behold, the Senate finally passed the suffrage bill, 18 months after the House. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber
1: Teen introducing Uber teen accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen
0: can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And you know, I've actually been using Uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football. Game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. That's up to
0: $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select
1: markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details
2: stylish, and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit toyota.com Toyota, let's go places. This episode is
1: brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, No matter who you are or where you
0: are in life, you'll feel special with Discover.
1: Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.
0: Now it was time for the next battle. They had to get three-fourths of the United States, like the actual states, to ratify the amendment. And so for the next 15 months, the activists fought incredibly hard. They were hard on the paint to try to get at least 36 states to ratify this bill and people were still getting sick. February 1920, Aloysius Larch Miller, a prominent activist, gets out of her sickbed while she's infected with the flu to testify before the Oklahoma Democratic Party convention on behalf of ratification and the equal right to vote. And she wins this argument, but she dies of pneumonia. So it's a pyrrhic victory of a sort. Months after the flu was abated, the pandemic has claimed one of its most prominent victims. And it was Tennessee, shout out to the volunteer state, that pushed the 19th Amendment all the way across the finish line. And thus, pandemic notwithstanding, on August 26th, 1920, women's suffrage is inscribed
1: in the U.S. Constitution. Can we get a round of applause for that? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Oh, my goodness, it's amazing. I had no idea that this played such an important part in this, um, it, but it makes perfect sense. It's one of these things that like, you know, obviously nobody would have wished this horrible plague upon the country that obviously killed, you know, millions of people. But there is this kind of silver lining, isn't there? Outside of the workplace, women started to become more involved in like making important civic decisions. Um, Women's roles uh, socially began to change. There was just an increased kind of, you know, groundswell of support in much more mainstream kind of way for women's rights. Uh, And then... The National Federation of Business and Professional Women's Clubs was founded in 1919, and that organization's goal was to eliminate discrimination based on gender in the workplace and focusing on things like getting equal pay for women and creating uh, an amendment to the Constitution that focused on equal rights for all. You know, it's not something we've always uh, done very well with in this country. It's something we're still struggling with to this day. Um, so, yeah, while the 1918 uh, flu pandemic was absolutely devastating, um, it, you know, could be considered one of the kind of red letter tragic events in the history of this country. It did have this really important kind of silver lining. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, because that's that's one thing that people often forget, you know. Historical events do not occur in a vacuum of any sort. And so the pandemic both helped and hindered the fight for women's equality. And of course, women's rights are human rights. I believe that Anna Lehman, executive director of the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, sums it up perfectly when she says, it's easy to find inspiration in these activist stories and their work. There's a refrain of if the suffragist can do what they did, then we can get through this. Inspiring, huh?
1: It really is. Yeah. I'm wondering what the silver lining is going to be uh, to this. I can think of one without having to get too political here. Um, but I wonder what history will say about the the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, If there was some positive change that it brought about in the world.
0: Yeah. Isn't it crazy that grad students in the future are going to say like, oh, instead of saying I majored in the 21st century, they're going to be like, I majored in March 2020. That's my concentration. Here's my book. It's it's nuts. So much stuff has occurred. We hope that you enjoy this story. We hope you find it inspiring. Uh, We hope you know, of course, that the Spanish flu is a misnomer. It's kind of an unfair name. It just got its name from the fact that newspapers in Spain were the first ones to report the flu. Other countries had kept silent because they didn't want to reveal a perceived weakness to the enemy. So it's unfair to call it the Spanish flu. The, The 1918 pandemic... Wrought massive change and massive damage to society and our species, but we made it through, and uh, we're going to make it through this one too.
1: Was calling it the Spanish flu a political kind of maneuver to place blame? I mean,
0: in some areas you could argue that. Uh, which is, I, I know where you're going. I was thinking the same thing, but it's primarily just because, as I said, the the Spanish newspapers reported it first. Mm. Other nations on both sides of the allied and central powers knew something was rotten. They knew something was afoot, but they were worried that if they told anybody about it publicly, they would seem weak in the international sphere. Good lesson to learn, not just for this pandemic, but all the ones ahead. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Let's, uh, Let's stay safe. Uh, let's, you know, it's always a Thanksgiving at the end of every ridiculous history episode. Behind the scenes, one of our favorite things is thanking all the folks who
1: make this show possible. Started with you, super producer, Casey Pegram. Well, uh, like we said, have a happy holiday, everybody. Enjoy your time um, with whomever you're able to pot up with. And hopefully, folks will be down for some Thanksgiving Zooming. Um, that's certainly what I'm going to do. Huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Haciotis here in spirit. Gabe Lussier, the man uh, who makes all this possible. And big, big thanks to Eves Jeffco.
0: Please check out This Day in History class. It's fantastic. I don't have to take our word for it. Check it out today. Uh, And also, big thanks to every activist who has been fighting for uh, equality and progress, not just in 1918, but here in the modern day
1: as well. will see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are
0: or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn
1: more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.
2: Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.